0: Thank you, Zach and Gabby. I was singing as I was sitting there, what's more scarier than sitting in a service and the person who's speaking gets up really early in the service, and that is they come up to the pulpit with two Bibles. Brian, I'm just putting this right there. We are doing things a little bit different this morning, and we are going to uh, respond to the message today uh, by... Um, Celebrating communion together, and so you don't have to be too afraid. And I will only use the second Bible for a very short period of time. Something quite different happened this week. I was uh, sitting in the office of uh, a gentleman who I share a building with, and uh, it's middle of the afternoon, and I could hear a bell ringing, and we kind of looked at each other. What in the world is that? And An ice cream truck. It's not that unusual to see a catering truck, like a food truck, show up to a factory area. But this was an ice cream truck. And it came up the driveway. uh, And I'm going, what in the world is an ice cream truck driving up the driveway? And this gentleman who says he owns a company and we, we share some space together. And Graham has been, my son Graham, has been working with him all summer. And he starts searching for his wallet. And I go, oh, I guess he wants to get some ice cream. And uh, he says, oh, where did it go? I want to get Graham some ice cream. And I go, you know, I know this guy, and this is a proud dad moment, but often says to me, you oh, Graham's a really good guy. He's got a great attitude, he's such a hard worker. But I also know that Graham, who likes to go to the McDonald's nearby for lunch, will often come back with a coffee for Hitesh. That's the gentleman's name. And uh, so he wanted to go and buy Graham ice cream. And it just kind of hit me that I knew Graham was well liked by Hitesh, but he must be really in his good books. If he was willing to go and buy him an ice cream while he's got a f- factory full of people and walk out into the plant in the middle of the shift and to hand Graham. Whatever ice cream uh, he was going to buy him. Unfortunately, the truck disappeared, so he never did get him the ice cream, but it felt really good for me to know that, you know, Graham is in his good books. And and if you wanted to say it like a theologian would say it, Graham had a right standing with his boss. You know, we're in a time, I I don't know if there's ever been, maybe there has been uh, in history, a time where relationships are so strained. I was just reading this morning that uh, there's a 15 to 25% increase in divorces uh, during this pandemic. And they're saying that where there is a crack, the pressure has just blown problems uh, apart uh, in relationships. And uh, people who have been married and work and they're looking after the kids now all of a sudden find themselves cooped up in the house together and they're going, like, who in this? Who in the world did I marry? Uh, And uh, relationships are so strained. And so a question that really consumes us when it comes to relationships, and and not just with our spouse, but in so many areas of our life, the, the question that consumes us is, how can we be in right relationship with Our husband, our wife, our children, our boss, our neighbors, our extended family, our co-workers, our our fellow students at our school. And the list goes on and on and on. And so that's a question that's often in our mind, whether we think it or not. How can we be in right relationship? But you know, that question, as it pertains to God is the most important question that we can ever ask. And it reflects our greatest need. How can we be in right relationship with God? And a relationship with God is totally different than any other relationship that we have because God is perfect. He's holy. He's sinless. His standards are so high. And so even today, there are sincere churchgoers, whether they be Baptists or Catholics or Lutherans or Pentecostals, they're going to church today and a question that they're asking is, how can men, how can women, how can children have a right relationship with God? In fact, throughout history, even today, there are those who torture their bodies, hoping that the pain that they experience will win them favor with their God. There are those who have sacrificed children on an altar, hoping that they will appease uh, an angry deity. There are those who walk on coals, who lie on beds of nail, all uh, in in an effort to try to prove that, that perhaps they deserve eternal life. There are millions who pray to Mecca, There are those who practice voodoo and sacrifice chickens and and place them on a makeshift altar, all in hopes of pleasing God. And why? Why do people go to this extent? Because people do what they do with the hopes of appeasing or pacifying or somehow manipulating God to smile and to show his favor upon them. And we understand why that's so important. Who doesn't want to face God someday and to hear those words that that you have a right standing with Him? To achieve that, to attain that has got to be the greatest news one could ever hear. But here's the problem. We can't attain that. We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. Allison read the scripture passage that I chose this morning, and and I said to her, would you read this? It's kind of a gloomy text. And some of you may have been listening going, okay, that's the scripture reading for today? Like, it's Labor Day, it's a holiday weekend, thought maybe church might might be a little bit light and fluffy today, and that was really depressing. In fact, if you really want to depress yourself, begin at the start of Paul's letter to to the Romans. 64 verses before the text that I want to look at this morning. 64 verses of the same theme. Sin, sin, sin. Bad news, bad news, bad news. We learn about the the universal problem of sin that defines the human condition. We learn about the fact that we not only are addicted to sin, but we are bound to sin. That our situation, our condition, because of sin, has left us hopeless and helpless, deserving judgment. The bottom line as you read through Paul's letter is this that there is this huge chasm or, or gap between holy God and sinful humanity. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge it. And we might say, Paul, we get the point. Why for 64 verses before chapter 3 and verse 21? Do you repeat this theme over and over and over again? Well, I think it's, first of all, Paul wants to paint a very realistic picture of the human condition of sin. The condition that we find ourselves in apart from Jesus. But I think even more importantly, Paul realizes that if we don't recognize how desperate our situation is, and that there's nothing that we can do to fix it ourselves, We will never turn to God and to grasp on to what he is offering us. And that leads us to the good news. God is willing to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can have a right relationship with God. And that leads us to the text that I want to to consider with you this morning. And if you've got your Bible or you're looking at your phone, uh, turn to Romans 3 verse 21. And I want to go over this good news with you. For some of you, this is going over something you've heard many, many times before, but I think it's so important that we grasp the truth of this passage. Many believe that this passage, verses 21 through 26 of chapter 3, is the heart of Paul's letter. Uh, it's, it, it's the greatest paragraph in scripture, some people would say. To understand it is to understand the central message of Scripture. To be able to grasp it is to be able to grasp God's plan of salvation. And, and to allow it to permeate the hard shell and the pride that we build around ourselves, even as Christians, will humble us and will motivate us towards evangelism. So turn, if you would, to Romans 3. And uh, verse 21, the first question I want to look at is, what is this good news? And the good news is this, what we can't do, what we cannot achieve, God has provided. And verse 21 reads, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I want to go right to the beginning of that verse two very small, simple words that we can just quickly read past, but are so important. But now, your translation might say, but now, God. But now. I've already said it. Paul goes to great extents to make sure that we understand the human condition. We are not righteous. And that word's a little confusing to understand. I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But, but, but we are not righteous. We're addicted to sin. We're bound to sin on our own. We're not even seeking God. We're helplessly and hopelessly lost. We stand guilty for our condition of sin. Which leads us to, to the most important question in this context. What's God's response to the human condition of sin? Does he turn his back on us? Does he he damn us forever? And Paul throws those two words at us. But now. Couldn't have come at a better time. In fact, the difference between heaven and hell hangs on the meaning and the context of what Paul is going to say after he says, but now. You see, the words, but now, assure us that God hasn't turned his back on the sinner. But now, assures us that God has an answer for even the most vilest of sinners. Paul says, but now, the righteousness of God has been made known. Your translation might say, uh, the righteousness from God has been revealed. You know, this phrase, the righteousness of God, is a phrase we come across often in Scripture, and it has different, uh, related, but different meanings. Uh, It could be speaking of the attributes of God, the righteousness of God, His holiness, His justice, His, His perfections. Uh, It could also be speaking of the saving activity of God. If you read the righteousness of God in Psalms, for instance, it's often referring to God's uh, entrance into the world of sinful humanity to intervene uh, and to save. And it also can refer to a status, uh, a state, a position that God gives to those who believe. A status whereby one is seen as right in God's eyes. I like how the New Living Translation puts verse 21. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. And that should ring in our ears. That we can be made right with God. That God has provided a righteousness for those who can't do that on their own. Because we are not righteous in and of ourselves. And that might be bad news for some people. For those who have been brought up to believe that I, I've just inherited a right relationship with God. I, I go to church. My, my parents are members of so-and-so church. I've earned it. It might be bad news for those who are, who are putting themselves to such great lengths, striving to earn this righteousness. But we aren't righteous. We don't have a righteousness of our own. We need a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And Paul speaks of this righteousness of God That's apart from the law. You see, the the law of God reveals the righteousness of God. The law of of God reveals God's righteous standards for human behavior. But if you're striving to have a right relationship with God by perfectly following the law, you're going to fail. You're always going to fall short. And bring that forward into 2020. If you're trying to earn and to achieve or to obtain a right standing with God on the basis of your rituals and your celebrations and your church attendance and your baptism and your tithes and your family connections, it's going to fail because you'll always fall short. But all is not lost. Paul says that God has inaugurated a new chapter in salvation history through Christ. It's part of his plan. That's what the Old Testament is pointed towards. It's what the, the prophets spoke of. That God has provided a righteousness. He has provided a way for us to have a right standing with God apart from the law apart from our good works and our deeds and our strivings but how can we obtain this right standing how can we how can we experience this way that god has provided us to have a right standing with him and we move on to verses 22 Uh, through verse 24 and it reads this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all all who believe there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus and so obviously we want to jump into that answer or to be reminded of that answer to be motivated by the answer. How can we obtain a right standing with God? But one more time, Paul in this passage is going to interject our human condition. He wants to make sure that we understand that what he's about to say is for every one of us here this morning, everyone who is watching by Zoom, everyone who will read this text, For everyone. See when it comes to sin. We're all on a level playing field. We're all in the same boat. Each and every one of us. Needs to be saved. We come empty handed. To God. If we were to bring all that we had. All that we have done. All that we can accumulate and muster. And bring it towards God, so that He might look at it and determine whether we can have a right standing with Him or not. all we would come with is as empty hands, because we got nothing. Paul says, "There's no difference. And let those words sink in. There is no difference whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, whether you are the most moral person that has ever lived or the vilest of sinner. There is no difference because we all fall short of God's glorious standard, that standard of perfection, that standard that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. We all fall short I was thinking it would be like taking the shortest person who is here and I'm not going to pick on anyone although I can think of a few who would probably be the shortest people here and if one of the Miller boys was here that's probably the tallest that we would have and and, and we at night and the stars are up in the sky we put that short person and we put the Miller boy up on the roof and say grab for the stars If it was Noah, I I bet you Noah could come closer to reaching the star than the shortest person. But neither of them would grab the star. And that's what Paul is saying when it comes to sin. And this standard of perfection. You want to have a right standing with God all by yourself? Then be perfect. Grasp for that. But here's the reality. You'll all fall short. Stretch. We still won't be able to grasp it. When it comes to sin, we're all on a level playing field. Each and everyone needs what God has provided for us to have a right relationship with God. And so how can we obtain it? How do we have this right relationship with God? It's right at the beginning of verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We obtain this righteousness by putting our faith and our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This righteousness, this right standing is available to all who will believe. All who will believe. Regardless of your past. Regardless of the amount of sin you bring with you. A right standing is available to all who will believe. And understand what Paul is meaning when he uses the word believe. It doesn't mean a simple nod of the head to some information and some facts. The word believe here means to put our trust and our confidence fully in another person to do for us, which we can't do for ourselves. And so empty-handed, we come to God recognizing and confessing our sin and and our absolute inability to do anything about it and to fully put our trust and our confidence in the person and work of jesus christ on our behalf and then go to verse 24 and if you got your bible and you don't mind marking it up there are some words that i would encourage you it is the most one of the most beautiful verses in scripture Look what God does to those who will put their trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All are justified. Underline that. Freely circle it. By His grace. Underline the word grace. Through the redemption. Underline the word redemption. What has God done for those who put their trust in Jesus he has justified us. We're justified is a legal term. It means to declare innocent. It, it, it means our slate is wiped clean. In the context of God being our judge, the record record of our sin is forgiven and and our record in heaven is permanently altered. And in the eyes of God, he declares us to be righteous. Paul says it's a gift. We are justified freely. The word freely there means for nothing, without a cause. Meaning there was nothing that we did to earn what God has done for us through Jesus. We didn't attain it. We haven't obtained it through something that we have done, something that we have said. But strictly because of God's grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. And He can do that because of the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. And the word redemption or the word redeem is a a word that comes from the slavery trade, it means to free someone from a penalty by paying a price. And if we were to continue in Romans, we would read that there is a price that needs to be paid because of our sin. In Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That's our price tag because we as sinners are enslaved to sin. That's our bondage. We are in chains and there's a price to be paid. But God sent Jesus to pay that price. And so we have been redeemed. But how can all this be possible? Like there's some crazy questions that come out of a uh, a careful study of this passage. How How can the death of one person save so many people that will just put their trust in that one person? How can God simply declare innocence upon those who are guilty? You know the The uproar in society today when a president or a prime minister or a leader of a nation or a judge pardons someone for what they have done. Imagine this. Declaring to be innocent those who are guilty. And why can't God just sweep sin under the carpet? Why can't he just choose to forget it? Why can't he just let it slide? Why does it have to take the death of his son, Jesus Christ? Which in some conversations can be kind of awkward to explain that to people. Why? You see, the righteousness of God, his very character, from a human standpoint, creates a little bit of a dilemma. I've shared this many times with you before. God's holy. He's just. He's pure. And because of that, he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot allow sin into his presence. He cannot allow sin to go undealt with. He must deal with sin. Sin must be obliterated. And maybe we don't understand that concept. I think we understand this concept. We understand in the medical world how important it is that contamination is dealt with. I've got some very vivid memories, especially of Lauren, my oldest daughter's birth, uh, sitting in in, uh, the garment I had to put on and they told me to wait outside the the surgery room um, and wait till I got called in, as I'm standing outside this door, very nervous, uh, and the two doctors that were going to perform the C-section came to the sink that was right in front of me. And uh, I know the rules of properly washing your hand, you know, like, happy birthday to me. Well, they must have sang every nursery rhyme, every song I could think of, As they scrubbed and they scrubbed what seemed like five or ten minutes of scrubbing up to their elbows. And then they were going to put gloves on top. But they scrubbed and they scrubbed and they scrubbed. Because they understand the importance of getting rid of any contamination. And they know the danger and and the consequences of bacteria and germs getting in to another person's body. And so we understand that and we are okay with the medical profession's wrath against contamination. We'll multiply that by infinity and that's God's understanding and perspective on sin. Sin destroys and contaminates everything that it touches. And God has to deal with sin. But here's the dilemma from a human perspective. God loves the sinner. God wants to have a relationship with the sinner. And so what's the solution? How can a holy, just, righteous God who can't tolerate sin have a relationship with one who is contaminated by sin? And the solution is found in the cross. Read what Paul says in verses 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The reason I brought this other Bible up, it's the New Living Translation, and I really like how they have translated and paraphrased these last two verses. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what we would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight, when they believe in Jesus. How is it possible? The answer is found in Jesus and in the cross where he put to death the penalty for our sin. I realize as I finish this message that for many of you, this is nothing new. You've heard this text. You've heard messages like this before. I think it's so important for those of us who have been following Jesus for so many years to be reminded again and again of the message that we have in this text this morning. Because I think pride creeps in. I think we look at people in this world and we write them off. Their sin is so great. Their problems are so vast. What would God want with a person like that? And yet when I read this, I'm reminded I was a person like that. And so are you. And we got to remember that God wants a relationship with those that we are tending to write off as much as he wants the relationship with us. And he has offered what can make those people that we write off be able to have a right standing with him. Just as we can have a right standing with him. And so my prayer for most of us here, because I know that's where most of us are at, we are on the journey of faith and and we're following Jesus, is that, that, that we would be convicted and motivated by the words of Paul as we were reminded of the great news of the gospel, the message that we can have a right standing, a right relationship with God through Jesus and that we would be willing to share that with people. Brian.